Um, as we get started this morning, we're going to be continuing our way through the Gospel of Mark um, and continuing in uh, chapter 11. Last week, we read about that, that triumphal entry, Jesus coming in on that, that first Palm Sunday. Uh, this morning, we're going to see a text that's probably somewhat familiar to us. We remember Jesus cleansing of the temple. But we're going to see that it's actually set in the middle of one of those Markian sandwiches we've spoken about many times where Mark likes to have one main thing in the middle and then he puts these two things on either side of it in order to help us to understand better what's going on. And we're going to see that this morning as we see the fig tree on either side of what's going on in the temple. Let's look to the passage now starting at verse 11, chapter 11. And he entered Jerusalem. And he went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf. He went to see if he could find anything on it, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs, and he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And the chief priests and the scribes heard it. And were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed, it is withered. And Jesus said to them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you've given us your word to nourish us, to feed your people. Uh, Would you feed us this morning? Uh, Would you use your word to do its work in our heart? Would you, if necessary this morning, would you rearrange the furniture in our heart that we might have true faith? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if many of you have ever heard of something called the Fire Festival, um, but there's a couple of documentaries right now out about it. It's a, a music festival that was supposed to take place a couple of years ago, and it was, it was the hot thing on social media, and if you were a hip, like 20-something, this is where you wanted to go and where you wanted to be. The best stars were going to be there. It was going to be on a, 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 what was supposed to have been a private island in the Bahamas, you know, you were going to get a private flight to, to the island, you were going to have these luxurious accommodations, and then the people got there. 
Well, first they just got to the airport and they saw, well, it was really just a rented like jumbo jet. It wasn't like a private airplane taking them there. And, and then they get there and they see that, that things aren't really set up. There's some tents, but they're not fully set up. There's a bunch of mattresses all piled up, but they're rain-soaked. And all the musicians have pulled out. It was really a big fraud. All of this stuff, all these people had suddenly arrived on this island, which wasn't even a private island. And here they are. It was all a mirage. It wasn't real. They, they had all these appearances that they'd seen on social media, and they were excited about it. And then, and then they get there, and they find out that reality is something totally, totally different, that it was really all a lie. This morning, as we look at our passage, we, we see similar dynamics going on. There are appearances, and then there's reality. And we want to see that. I want us to first see the appearances at the temple and then of the fig tree. And then we're going to go and we're going to look at the reality of them both and see how Jesus then instructs us about them. So let's do that. Just think of this temple for a minute. Jesus enters the temple on that day. It's Passover week. This would be a hopping place to go. It would be a happening place to go. This is where you'd want to be. It would be extremely busy. There would be tons of people. Josephus, a first century historian, said a little bit later on, but said that on one Passover, some 255,000 lambs were sold. Okay, we're, we're talking about a lot of people. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people gathered together. It was the place to be. And don't miss, too, if you'd entered into that temple on that day. This was Herod's temple. It was huge. Okay, 35 acres the temple took up. Some of the walls up to 150 feet tall to give you some sort of uh, semblance of how big that is. It's approximately the size of the Pentagon building, including the courtyard. That's the size of the temple. It's huge. Or if you don't really know that, then like a third the size of the Magic Kingdom and Disney World. Maybe you can relate with that a little bit better. This is big, okay? It's, it's really big, and so it would be so impressive as you walk in and you, you see all these people and it's bustling and there's money changing hands and, 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 and no doubt the treasuries of the temple are filling up. Everything externally points to there's something really good going on here, right? If you were to walk into the temple, you'd say, oh, there's, look at all these people who, who, who love God. God is moving here in a really big way. Great things are happening. Just look. Would you evaluate it any differently if you'd have walked in? As we're going to see in a moment, Jesus evaluates things very differently. Let's look at the fig tree real quick. How do we see the fig tree? Look at verse 12. On the following day when they came from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seen in the distance a fig tree and leaf. He sees this fig tree and it, this, there's something about it that sets it apart. It's in full leaf. Okay. It's saying, come to me, I have figs. It's saying, come to me, I have fruit. Even though, as the text tells us, it's not the season for it. It's saying to the world, I have fruit, come to me. It's telling a lie. And the temple is telling a lie about what's going on. Like the, that fire festival, it's, it's all a mirage, it's smoke and mirrors you, you, you go to the, the temple, and the temple claims, and it looks like it's vibrant. But it's not. Look at verse 15. They came to Jerusalem. 
And he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold and those who brought in the, bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables and the money changers, the seats of those who sold pigeons. He wouldn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. What is it that Jesus is taking issue with when he walks into the temple? You know, back when I was a kid, and I know they don't do it quite as much these days, but we used to sell the candy bars. You all remember the chocolate candy bars that you'd sell in school? And if you sold enough of them, maybe you'd get, like, jump for dollars and all that stuff. I, I never sold enough candy bars to get the really good prizes, but I always wanted to and always had aspirations for it. And, and I'd go around my neighborhood selling chocolate bars, but then I'd also bring it to church to see who I could sell it to. Um, now, there was another guy who was actually in my class who went to the same church, and his dad said, no, you can't bring chocolate bars into the church. You can't sell them because I don't want you making the church a house of robbers. It was very good for me and for my business because there was no competition, so that worked out great for me. But is that what Jesus is meaning? Is he meaning like we can't have any sort of commerce, any little thing? We've got to be on edge, and we've got to make sure that you know, a kid can't come sell candy bars. Is that... What the intention is, first, it's a very different age and it's a very different place. The temple is a far different place than where we're gathering this morning. The temple has, is no more. <laughs> we are now Christ's temple, our bodies, and uh, so in some ways it doesn't fit. So what is, what is Jesus, what is it that he's really taking issue with? Remember, where is it that he's entering? As he's going into, this, into the temple, where is all this going on? All this is going on, it's in the courtyard of the Gentiles. Okay, this would have actually been probably like the biggest areas um, in the temple. And it was a place that was meant to be set aside so that all could gather there. Anyone from any nation. You didn't have to be Jewish. And you could come and you could worship Yahweh there. You could, you could pray there. You could maybe get instruction there. This was a place where anyone could gather. There were certain parts, though, of the temple as you got closer in where you couldn't go. And you had to be Jewish in order to continue on. But this was meant to be a place that anybody could come to learn about Yahweh, to play, pray to him. And yet on this day that Jesus enters in there, what is it? it? It's filled with sacrifices. It's like this incredible marketplace. If, like I said earlier, if you were to look at it, you'd say, whoa, look at this marketplace. This is pretty incredible. But it, this place that is meant to be a place of, as Jesus says, uh, a, a place of prayer for all the nations it's been turned as jesus says in, into a den of robbers filled with people selling sacrifices filled with tables of money changers people who are change, exchanging your money because when you came in you had to exchange it for the the money that was acceptable for you to give in the temple and of course they would make their mark up on it not only that did you did you notice there was kind of an odd verse in there verse 16 what did jesus say he said he he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Seems a little strange the way that it's talking about what it, what it seems like is not only is all this commerce going on in the temple, in this place that's supposed to be the worship place for the Gentiles, it's also become a cut through. It's the place you, it's, it's the way you get a shortcut. Instead of having to walk all the way around this huge temple, you could just cut right through the court of Gentiles. And Jesus seems to be stopping them there as well. And what is of course, and we know this well, Jesus' response. As he sees all of this going on, what does he do? He comes in and he starts flipping over tables. He starts making people leave. 
you and I, we, we hear that, and we, we, hear, we, we think this is like a Bruce Banner moment. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You know Bruce Banner, the guy who says, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry, right? The Hulk. And what we envision here is, is Jesus walks into the temple on that day, and, and he comes in, and suddenly he turns green, you know? And he turns, you know, and suddenly this, this nice, kind guy, you know, always so nice and always so kind, you know, suddenly it's like a, a switch flips, and suddenly he starts tossing tables and turning everything over. He goes Hulk on them. But that's not what's happening here, understand. Did you, did you read and catch the very first verse that we read this morning back in verse 11? And he went, and this is on the day uh, of that triumphal entry that we talked about last week. This would be on that Sunday evening. He entered Jerusalem, he went into the temple, and when he looked around at everything, as it was already very late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Do you see what's going on here? He went there, he saw it all the night before. This is a premeditated act. Jesus thought through what he was going to do. And if you think about it, he's going back to Bethany, it's probably the exact same path he probably even passed. That fig tree. Okay? He goes and he makes his plan of what he is going to do, how he is going to use this as a moment to instruct his disciples in the truth. You see, on that Sunday of the triumphal entry, he went to the temple and he saw that, that a lie was being carried out there. He saw that it was a lie and he planned to make clear to his disciples and to others that, that the empty lie that was being carried on at the temple. To, to understand a little bit more of that lie, we, I think it's helpful to kind of step back and see this, what it is that frames it, the story of the fig tree. Verse 13, And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And then on the other side of the temple story, verse 20, they passed by in the morning and they, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Now, what's going on here? Is this, you know, it's, it's almost like this is another Hulk moment. Why does Jesus, you know, he just suddenly gets all angry and he curses a tree? What's going on here? We've got to remember, Jesus, Jesus is using this as a moment to teach. Okay? He, like the prophets of the, Old Testament, of the Old Testament, they would often give object lessons. They would get tangible, visible things to help people understand and see. And that's what Jesus is doing on this day. He's trying to give his disciples an object lesson, something that they can see. You, you see, what's the, the point of this all? That there's this fig tree, and, and, and it's saying, I've got fruit, come look at me. Now, what kind of fruit? We can get into all sorts of a trail as to what kind of fruit this was. Was this like pre-figs because it's not the season, as we're told, and so it's these things that, pe that travelers would pull off? Or is this a tree that is saying, as some of the trees do there, and they, they, they have fruit out of season? point is, this thing, it, it, it's so leafy, it's so green, it, it, everything about it says, I should have fruit. And Jesus, on that day, he desires fruit, and he comes to it, and it has none. And this is a moment for an object lesson, an object lesson that connects back with what happens 
at the temple. An object lesson that's about Israel and her, her leadership in particular. They have all the appearances of good religion. Everything looks good on the surface. It's a happening place. It's the place you'd want to be. And yet Jesus is saying they're fruitless. There's no fruit. You see, Jesus looks at what looks wonderful outwardly. And he sees dead religion. He sees that it's dead. And what do I mean by that? And how do we see that in the story? I think, and we see that in multiple ways. I just want to go through them real quick. First, it's the selfishness of the people. They they have selfishly carved out a space that is meant for the Gentiles, and they've carved it out for for their own profit and to protect their own power. You understand what they've been? It's, a, it's about them. They're not concerned as they should be. As they, they should be looking outward. They should be concerned and desiring to take the, the, the good news of, of Yahweh to the nations. But they're not concerned with that. Just the very act of what seems to be going on at the temple, it seems to scream that they're incredibly selfish. They're incredibly self-focused. They're not worried about those out there. They're only worried about themselves. And as I said, maybe primarily concerned with their own profits, with their own power. And Jesus also points out something very important to understand how dead their religion had become. And and you see what Jesus says in verse 17. He says, is it not written? He's sitting there in the midst of the temple and he's saying, is it not written? He's saying in a very bold way right there in the temple with the religious leaders watching and listening. He's saying, you're not submitting to Scripture. You're failing to submit to Scripture. Scripture says that my house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations. And instead, you're turning it to a den of robbers. What are you doing? What are you thinking? They're refusing to submit to the Word. And they seem to have no concern for prayer. It's meant to be a house of prayer, and they've turned it into like this huge marketplace. And Jesus comes in, and what does he do? He starts rearranging the furniture. Okay? And they're, they're not very happy at all with Jesus rearranging the furniture. He's trying to apply scripture to what's going on in the temple. And what do the religious leaders do? They plot to continue that plot to kill him. You see, they don't, Jesus comes in to purify, to bring purity. And what do they do? They try to kill the one who's trying to bring purity, the one who's trying to purify. They they don't like the guy who's coming in and rearranging the furniture. Makes me think for a moment, how willing are we to allow, and maybe even this morning we'll get the sense a little bit that Jesus is rearranging the furniture in our hearts a bit. How do we respond when he tries to rearrange things? Do we like it? Or are are we like them? We'd rather uh, destroy the purifier than to be purified. Don't miss that this is a huge danger that's going on here. The people, by and large, they were deceived. They were deceived into thinking that what was going on there was wonderful. And it was great. Just, Just look at all the people. But Jesus looks at it and he sees it for what it really is. You know, that's the danger for those involved 
in empty religion. You're so likely to deceive yourself. It's so incredibly deceptive. And that's why Jesus says those incredibly difficult words in Matthew 7. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? We cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name, and then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, you people with, without fruit, you people who you look great on the outside, but on the inside, it was dead. What I'm saying and what we're hearing this morning, this can be true of us individually as people, okay? Where we can look great, we can have a great veneer around us, but we can be so dead on the inside. But, and this is where we need to be careful as a church, this can also be true institutionally. And in a sense, that's what Jesus is addressing. Where we could be a church that looks all nice and neat on the outside, but it's bearing no fruit. And that should not be so. We must guard uh, against that. You see, Jesus desires for that, for, for our inner life to match that outer life that we proclaim. Now, we don't always do a very good job of that, do we? None of our, I don't think for any of us we could say that that's the case. Oh, yeah, my, my inner life perfectly matches my outer life. Just a few nights ago, one of my kids, trying to get them to bed, they weren't going to bed when I asked them to. And so I barked at them a bit. And this one particular child um, said, Dad, haven't you talked at church before uh, about how sometimes at night you, you bark at us and, and you shouldn't do that? You, you're, you know you're doing that right now. And I sent him on up to bed. It was a moment, though, of conviction, a reminder of how much work still needs to take place for our our outer, (laughs) that that, that outer faith that we proclaim to match our inner hearts. And that's why, and it's so important that we understand that in in the midst of this, as midst as we struggle through and, and that our, our lives don't exhibit the amount of faith that we wish they would, we can be thankful that we can run to Jesus. We can be thankful that the one who, who, who cursed the, the tree on Monday, on Friday, was cursed on a tree for you and I. Cursed on a tree for us when, 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 when our appearance doesn't match the reality of our hearts. And he was cursed for us. And that's such good news for us, isn't it? As we come to this, as, as we think about this, now what, how do we bring all of this together? What does all of, all of this mean? We, we see this dead re- religion that Jesus was exposing and pointing out to his disciples. This dead religion that wasn't exhibiting fruit as as they were called to, as you and I are called to exhibit fruit in our life. So what, is, what do we do with that? Where, where do we go with that? And Jesus helps us. Verse 21, 
<laughs> Peter, they, they, they see what's going on. They see the fig tree. And Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. Now here's where Jesus is going to give the opportunity and he's going to begin speaking and he's going to give some application to the disciples. What we'd expect here is more teaching on dead religion, on how bad Israel is, how far they've gone. But he goes to a completely different place. And at first I was struggling with how does this connect? And, but it does, I think, so well. What does Jesus say? What is his response? Verse 22. Jesus says, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believe that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. What is Jesus' response as he talks about this dead religion, about the hypocritical life that we so often live? We're on the outer veneer, we, we look so nice, but on the inside we're dying, or maybe even dead. What is Jesus' response? What does he tell the disciples? He tells them the, the antidote for it. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Trust me, he's saying. Can, can, can you learn to, to, to trust me and, instead of trying to, to do it all yourself as they were trying to do at the temple? As, as they were, had made, turned it into a religion that, you know, you could pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that somehow you can save yourself if you, you go through the right things. It's all about checking the right boxes. And Jesus says, no, have faith in me. Will you trust me? What is faith? The author of Hebrews tells us faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Calling us to have faith, and, and the faith that he talks about here is faith that is fruitful, right? It's not just a faith that says, oh yeah, I believe. It's a faith that because it believes, because it understands that Jesus was cursed on a tree for us, it's a faith that then responds, a, a faith that begins to bear incredible fruit. Not because of ourselves and not because we're great, but because he is, because of the work that he has done. And where does Jesus go? But he, he connects this faith, and it seems kind of odd at the moment, but he, he talk, starts talking about prayer. That, that faith's fruit is shown in prayer. Now, you may have seen this too. I know I've seen many missionaries come into churches over the years, and, and they'll come and they'll give their presentation. And the missionaries will share all the incredible things that are going on on the field, right? And then they get to the very end and they get to the ask. And the first point of the ask is always the same. It's the one thing that we would ask for you is would you all, would you pray for us? That's what we really want for you. Will you pray for us? And then they get to the second ask of, and if you're able, would you consider giving to us? Me, sometimes I can be a little cynical. And I know many times in the past I've thought as I've heard that, oh, they're just saying that. They really want you to skip to number two. What they really want is your financial support. 
But I think part of what we learn here is Jesus ties faith with prayer is that in reality, if they really believe that what Jesus says is true, they really do mean it. That prayer is more important than finances. Do you believe that? Could, could, could you say that? Is your life one that is it, it's not dependent on, on, on all your hard work and, and making everything move or dependent on him? Faith in him, faith that prays. You see, true faith in God prays. If, if your faith rests in yourself, you don't pray. And for some of you, that may be the struggle here this morning. You may say, I, I don't pray nearly enough. And, and, and part of it, some of the diagnosis of that is probably that you're trusting far more in yourself than you're entrusting in him. That your faith relies on yourself because you see true faith. True faith is demonstrated through prayer. Because prayer is that, that time where we show our total dependence on him. We, we admit that we are needy. And we submit ourselves to him. Does your faith show forth in prayer? And prayer isn't necessarily something that anyone else sees. And only you know that prayer life. It's that, you know, we have that outer veneer, but what does it look like when you get down to the heart of it in your prayer life with God? Now, in the midst of this, there's, course that elephant in the room the question that many of you as you look at this text you want answered Jesus talks about throwing the mountain into the sea now what I will say is that if you want us to go deep into this answer you need to come to the Sunday school class so there's a sell for that because we we have limited time this morning but to sum it up in a, in a way I think this remember a few weeks ago we saw Jesus you know he, he he talked with the rich man, and then the rich man goes away, and then he has time with the disciples, and he, he, he tells the disciples that it's harder for the rich man to get into heaven than it is for the camel to go through the eye of a needle. He gives this impossible illustration to show what's possible with God, okay? I think the same thing is going on here. He's, he's giving them something that's impossible, and he's saying, you need to understand that, 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 that with me, all things are possible, now, it may be that Jesus here is re referring to what's going to happen in about 40 years when the temple is going to be destroyed, okay? But I think he's also talking about something bigger. The bigger things that, that prayer can do. And remember, he's, he's preparing these disciples, these disciples who he's only going to be with for a few more days, and then he's going to be gone. And where are they going to need to run? They're going to need to run to prayer. And as you, you delve into like the beginning of the book of Acts, what do you see them doing? They, they're, they're running to prayer. And what, what is the fruit of that prayer? But thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people coming to know Christ because of the prayers of the early church. You see, our prayers are able to accomplish things far greater than the moving of mountains. God works through our prayers so that sinners can be turned into saints. That those who, who are enemies with him can be made his friend. It's, it's incredible. 
That is the, the incredible fruit of prayer. One far greater than moving mountains, I hope you understand. And what I think Jesus is encouraging us to do is to pray. And to pray boldly. Because he can do incredible things. Now this doesn't mean that all of our prayers are going to get asked. Jesus, I think, was a good prayer, we can assume. And he says this on Tuesday. On Thursday night, he's going to be praying, would you take this cup from me? Not my will, but yours be done. It's not all about just getting whatever we ask for in prayer. It's not about manipulating him. It's about coming to him with true faith. Trusting him. Showing our total dependence on him. You see, faith's fruit. It's shown in prayer. It's shown in the inside life that we have and how we relate to him. And then Jesus throws in a line at the end, verse 25. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Again, it seems disconnected, but again, this is fruit. This is the fruit of true faith. You see, true faith understands how greatly one is forgiven. True faith understands that he was cursed on a tree for us. True faith understands how how, how great your sins are, how greatly you've been forgiven. And true faith wants to approach others with that same forgiveness. True faith never says to somebody, you're not good enough. True faith, true faith is quick to forgive because we've been transformed by the gospel. Well, let's bring all of this together for a moment to a close. Jesus here is speaking and warning you and I about the, the danger of dead religion. A religion that can look alive on the outside, but just a veneer. On the inside, there's nothing or there's very little there. And Jesus calls us as he called his disciples to have faith. Have faith not in your ability to hold your life together, but have your faith in him totally dependent upon him, upon your Savior, upon the one who, who don't forget. Our story takes place here Monday, Tuesday. On Thursday, he's going to be arrested. On Friday, as we've said, he's, he's, he's put upon a tree and cursed. But then on Sunday, on Sunday, he, the temple, the, the temple that had been destroyed, was raised. The need for the temple, for that place that he'd criticized and talked about on Monday, the need for that place was abolished. The need for it was no more because the true temple had been raised from the dead. Death had been destroyed. Hebrews 10, 11, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never, which can never take away sins, but when Christ had offered up for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. True faith 
true faith, the faith that Jesus, I think, is calling his disciples to. is one that trusts in him, one that is centered on Jesus Christ. Let us not miss that true faith is a transformative faith. He's at work in us. It may not always be easy, and sometimes it's very painful. He's rearranging the furniture of our hearts. And are we going to fight against him? As, as the religious leaders did in the temple? Are we going to allow him to do his work of surgery on us? As he rearranges things of our heart that need to be rearranged. He's calling you and I. Just as he did his disciples and he's saying to us, have faith in God. Will you? Let's pray.